0: Oh, hi there. If you're listening to this, that means you've come back after the first batch of recommendations for things that weren't terrible in 2016. And thanks for that. And thanks for all of your support for the Now and Again podcast in 2016. Or if this is your first episode, thanks for giving us a shot. If there was a theme for the first episode, it was my cool movie forum friends. If there's a theme for this episode, it's podcasting pals. So not only will you have a bunch of recommendations for cool media at the end of this episode, you'll have a bunch of cool podcasts you can go to listen to as well. Some of them are right here on this network. Others are out there in the vast expanse of the internet. So like I said, whether you're a new listener or an old one, thanks and have a great 2017. With us now is Jeremy Greer, host of Don't Give Up Skeleton, Days of Future Cast, Dark Insight, probably a whole bunch of other podcasts that start with the, a word that starts with D. Uh, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you today?
0: I'm sorry I have so many podcasts to listen to. <laughs> no, hey, it's quite all right. Uh, you're a prolific podcaster, if that is a thing in 2016. But 2016, speaking of, you know, we all know it kind of sucked. What did you love? What did you you find in 2016, uh, that got you through it a little bit.
1: So I'm always on the hunt for, um, new sitcoms, uh, like good 30 minute comedy shows, not necessarily like sitcoms and like with a laugh track or anything like that, but it, it seems like with the advent of, you know, shows like Breaking Bad and really since the Sopranos, probably like these 45 minute to an hour long, heavy, dramatic shows have kind of dominated TV. And like, I don't really always want to watch that. Like when me and my wife sit down for dinner, we kind of want just something kind of funny to watch. That's so right. um, anytime like a new TV season starts, I kind of go through the comedy stuff and try to look for uh, stuff that I think is funny. I missed this the first time around. I caught it at the tail end and um, I, it was at the very beginning of the year, so I had a whole season to catch up on. But uh, there's a show on FX, I believe, or maybe Fox that um, is called You're the Worst. And You're the Worst is a... It's kind of a typical, like, adult-oriented, um, you know, we're going to make some crude jokes. We're going to say the word ass a lot because that doesn't mm-hmm. get us on trouble on cable, like, that kind of thing. So think of something, like, a- equivalent to, like, The League or um, Always Sunny sure. or something like that. Like, kind of adult-oriented stuff.
0: Pretty much what FX is doing is with their comedies, you know, their Archers and Atlanta and stuff like that. Oh, man, Atlanta is so good,
1: too. I should, probably should be talking about that instead of this, <laughs> but... <laughs> I think everybody would talk about Atlanta, though, because Donald Glover is so awesome. But uh, You're the Worst, the concept is, there's this uh, British writer who is kind of a douchebag, um, who is living in L.A. It's It follows kind of similar to the beginnings of Californication with David Duchovny, if you ever watched that, where you know, yeah. one of his things gets made into a movie, and he gets a little popularity, and then it, the movie's terrible, and he kind of just goes into obscurity. Um, one of his books gets published, and he thinks he's hot shit at this point. He meets a um, a typical LA agent, and both of these people are horrible, horrible people. <laughs> like <laughs> they treat people poorly, they're mean to you know service industry people. They they leave shitty tips. They drink all the time. They both smoke constantly. When they meet, they obviously like each other, but the they also hate each other. So it's kind of this love hate thing. Okay. So you and you've got your standard like supporting characters. the The lady in the show. I should probably research to get actors' names, but I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> the lady has a best friend who's kind of a crazy ditz. There, the guy has a roommate who is a um, a veteran from the Iraq War who is kind of weird and kind of a little a bit off kilter. And then there's like a, a you know menagerie of little characters that pop up. So all of that is you know the show is fine. It's, it, it starts out pretty gross and pretty kind of like in-your-face comedy you know like I'm in improv and I'm gonna say a word that nobody likes you know that kind of thing <sighs> yeah and it takes a little while to warm up and for whatever reason I stuck with it my wife didn't like it that much and what the show does is over time it starts introducing these real actual problems into these characters lives by the end of season one we discovered that the primary actress is having severe depression issues it comes up that the roommate is having some severe post-traumatic stress syndrome and mm-hmm. they don't deal with this in like, you know, a, you know <laughs> a family matters kind of way. Like they do, they still deal with it in like really horrible ways. It's something that's kind of refreshing to see on television, like an accurate relatively serious take on depression in this, you know, 22 minute comedy series. Where like she's having you know she's having trouble with imposter syndrome. She wants things that she can't have that she probably wouldn't even want if she had them. That kind of thing. I I don't. I deal a little bit with depression issues, but not like I don't. I don't go to a psychiatrist. I don't take medication or anything like that. But it's something that having seen family members around me deal with that that I'm just interested in. And seeing a portrayal like that on television like was really fascinating. It just took me for a complete turn. (laughs) Like I just did not
0: expect it at all. And it still manages to keep its sense of humor throughout. It
1: does. It does. Um, There's an episode like, and this is going to sound pretty cliche, but with the roommate that has post-traumatic stress syndrome, he's having a lot of difficulty getting his medication from the VA, which is, you know, ripped from the headlines of what 2016 is with the problems that the, you know, Department of Veteran Affairs has. But in a very comedic thing, a very cliche thing that he turns to marijuana, he starts smoking weed all the time that works and it kind of, but it also kind of distances himself from his, his girlfriend who is a, you know, an actress and a very lively person. He starts kind of receding from that a little bit. And it's, it's stuff like that. It's that interplay of characters and like, there's funny stuff when he's, you know, smoking ganja or whatever, but also it's, it's also yeah. played very seriously on the other side.
0: It's reminding me, and you can tell me if, if I'm completely wrong here, if, if I'm sort of uh, getting close, it kind of th- that, that combination of, uh, depression and serious mental issues with comedy, and uh, a brush with success, kind of reminds me of BoJack Horseman a little bit.
1: Sure, I, I I watched the first like three episodes of that, and I'm I'm told that I should keep going with that show it's exactly by people that also really like You're the Worst. So okay, <laughs> so I, I should definitely keep going. So
0: yeah, and um, I'm looking at this cast, and it is a cast of people whose names I have never heard: uh, Chris Gear, Aya Cash, Desmond Borges. Kether Donahue, like those don't even sound like real names. Some of those sound like <laughs> they're the cast of Rogue One.
1: Um, in the second season, probably the most memorable person that pops up is the uh Lupita, oh, I don't remember her last name, maybe Jones. She was one of the uh stars of uh Orange is the New Black. She plays a therapist for uh the main actress. But yeah, otherwise, I had never seen any of these people before. Um, and it was, it, that's also kind of refreshing. I watch a lot of bad television. I podcast about a lot of bad television. (laughs) So (laughs) like, I'm really used to like, oh, I know that guy from Battlestar Galactica and he was also in supernatural and he was also in this, and this cast seemed very, very fresh to me. I'd never seen any of them.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that can be a good thing is I feel like I spent a lot of the league kind of being like, oh, that's that person. And it taking me out of the moment.
1: Yeah, th- there's T.J. Miller and Chris Middleditch. Like, I know those guys. <laughs> like
0: <laughs> Right. Yeah. Just like the whole L.A. improv scene popping up in a show can definitely take you out of it. And, uh, and don't get me wrong.
1: Like, um, at some point, I think Doug Benson pops up. Like, so they have, like, goofy guest stars. And at one point, um, there's a gimmick. And I don't... <sighs> I don't feel like if I tell, I feel like if I say this, it's a spoiler, but also it's a 20 minute sitcom. So you'll probably forget this eight minute conversation that we're having by the time you get around to watching it. But um, the guy, Ben Folds from Ben Folds Five, shows up because he's moving to LA to get something started. And um, he has this like this reoccurring joke where he, he'll tell somebody to do something. And he's like, you know, and if you help me out here, I'll tell you what Brick is about. And everybody is just like, yeah, we know it's about abortion, <laughs>
2: like, but it's just a,
1: it's just a really good reoccurring joke. And throughout all of that happening, um, they're burying the main character's dad. It's oh, wow. yeah, right. Like, and it's, it's a, it's a really interesting combination of dynamics and the supporting cast gets, it starts out pretty cheesy. Um, the the main actress's best friend is, um, I guess she's meant to be portrayed as kind of like a like a, a chubby girl that eats a lot, but I mean she's she's just a gorgeous woman, uh, but she's very ditzy and she's very kind of slutty. But you actually like over the course of the two seasons, which I completely binged on, um, you get to like know her as really well as a character like she develops very well you get to know like her sister and her sister's pregnant and the sister is jealous of the other one for not having a baby and she's jealous of the sister of having a baby like it's all of those things and that's just with the supporting sidecast not even like with the really interesting dynamic between the main two so yeah that's it's something it's a show that i that i enjoy there's not a lot of sitcoms out there there's not a lot of good comedy that you can laugh at and also kind of cry at like yeah louis ck was probably like the biggest one right that i I love the most and this isn't that i don't want to i don't want to compare the two because that's kind of a a notch above everything when you have david lynch doing you know stand up you're doing something weird weird and great that's my um,
0: episode of that show for sure that arc oh my god
1: (laughs) when he's when he's just looking around and the applause is happening and they (laughs) oh it's so good
0: but no one should try to do louis like like Mark Marin tried to do that on his own show and it it wasn't good. Like you don't have to do something just cause it's popular. Like this being its own thing sounds pretty refreshing.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's poppy, right? Like it, it's, it's the difference in, in Louis CK, like of emulating some, it's very obvious, like a Woody Allen kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like he's emulating a style. He's, he's trying to, and putting his own take on it. And this feels very LA. This feels very poppy. It feels very like I'm going to listen to the Taylor Swift album because not because it's actually good music. Like everyone makes fun of it, but it's poppy and it's good and it makes me feel good. This is what that feels like, but with like a kind of a darker underbelly, like a realistic underbelly to it. Cool. And that's on FX? FX. I believe it's, I think I, the reason I was confused is it's moving to FXX or something. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's going to like their late night, whatever. I don't. I don't know, man. I download everything illegally. I have no idea what channel
0: (laughs) things come on. Oh, a side question. You mentioned Doug Benson shows up. Does he show up on the weed episode? I feel like he has to show up on the weed episode, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, there's, there's, they do some funny twist on that, but yeah, he absolutely shows up on the weed episode.
0: Um, So Jeremy, I'm going to ask you two uh, quick questions that I didn't, I did not tell him about before uh, he came on uh, just because uh, your, your podcasts relate to these things that both had releases in 2016. Okay. Can you give me, like, really, it's like a very basic yay or nay on uh, X-Men Apocalypse?
1: Oh, man. No, I can't. Like, I'm going to have to talk for about five minutes. On. <laughs> <laughs> um, I- I'll say this. The-, the parts of X-Men Apocalypse that work for me, which is pretty much everything with the teenagers, really, really work for me. The parts that are dudes in, like, really thick foam suits yelling at the screen don't really work for me. So, like... T- that, it's a steady middle ground for me. I watched that movie for like the good parts, if that makes sense.
0: Cool, and I mean I don't want to take it. You know, you, you're going to have that on a show eventually on Days of Future Cast, uh, and you know you also host Don't Give Up Skeleton. You know, people come on and talk talk about Dark Souls, and I feel like you don't get as much of a chance to do that. So Dark Souls three, yay or nay?
1: Yay, yeah. I, I, as for as many problems as Dark Souls three is, uh, it's. It's a really good entry in the series, it's, it's some, probably some of the best mechanics of the games uh, out of the entire series, outside of maybe Bloodborne. Um, there's some severe issues with the lore and the story, and that's kind of disappointing, but it's disappointing in that way that like, a great steak that's only slightly over or undercooked to your taste is still kind of disappointing. Like It's still really, really good, but it's just not quite exactly what you wanted.
0: All right. Well hopefully you don't mind that I uh I swiped some of your future material there.
1: <laughs> not at all, not at all.
0: It'll be like twenty nineteen
1: by the time we hit X Men Apocalypse at <laughs> our current rate. So. Yeah.
0: So do you wanna tell um the now and again listeners about your uh your other podcasts and where they can find you online?
1: Sure. Twitter is the best place at J G Greer on Twitter. I talk to everybody about just about everything. Um, I have a lot of different podcasts. Like we keep referencing days are future cast. You can search on anything and find that's the one where we're covering X-Men media, primarily the X-Men, the animated series from the early nineties, which is hilarious and way better than I thought it was. Don't give up skeleton, um, which you'll be on soon. Maybe by the time this comes out, I'm not sure exactly when your episodes coming, but, um, that's where we talk all about Souls and where people got their start with the Souls games. Uh, Dark Insight is a general gaming podcast. If you like accents, um, <laughs> it's me, who's a guy that lives in the Deep South. It's a guy from London, and it's a guy from New Zealand. So <laughs> we're, we're all over the place on that one.
0: How the hell do you even record that show? What is the magic hour for that? <laughs>
1: um, it's, uh, it's 2.30 in the afternoon which is like ten thirty at night for cliff who's at London and it's six o'clock in the morning the next day for Vader who is in New Zealand.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then we also do uh, also do monster of the week, which is a podcast on the TV show supernatural. I mentioned, I watch a lot of bad TV guys So, like, don't hold that against me.
0: Cool. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, and I hope you have uh, an awesome and podcast filled 2017.
1: Thank you. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's been time.
0: Us now is the host of the In Sickness and In Health podcast, Cara Gale O'Regan. How are you today?
3: I'm okay. How are you?
0: Ah, uh, you know, I'm surviving. What is something good that you liked out of 2016? If you can just pick one, one little flower out of that big old pile of poop, what uh, what would it have been?
3: I think my favorite thing in 2016, definitely my favorite thing on social media, um, on Twitter specifically is the sunday flower report so if you ever check the hashtag flower flower report on twitter um you'll see the feed just like full of pictures of flowers and then obviously as the seasons change uh people started also sharing photographs of different flora and foliage um and now that we are into uh winter in the northern hemisphere uh Mm -hmm. because this is a global thing it's great because you can see uh, that the southern hemisphere is currently a lot sunnier and warmer mm-hmm. than the northern hemisphere is now. Um, so it's a it's just a thing that I don't know who started it. I don't know how it started, but it is currently uh, kind of hosted by uh, at Alyssa Harad. Uh, she is a writer, and she um, it's hard to describe because it's not like this is a thing that uh it's just like a totally open platform, but she kind of uh, tweets <laughs> she retweets <laughs> tweets from uh from the flower report feed on Sundays, and it just is like the perfect antidote for all of the stuff that happens every single other day of the week It's a great place for people to gather and share beautiful things and look at beautiful things and remember that. Despite the fact that everything is currently on fire, uh, yeah. there's still some beauty in the world.
0: That's uh, first off, I had no idea that it was going to be about a flower thing when I when I did that intro about finding the flower in the pile of shit. I just watched Jurassic Park, and I love the giant pile of shit that <laughs> Jeff Goldblum finds. Uh, amazing coincidence there. And yeah, yeah man, um, social networking always needs a palate cleanser. I feel like whether it's um, yeah. I think someone started, like, the dog ratings or something like that. I see someone retweeting a lot on Twitter.
3: Yeah, there's an account called We Rate Dogs.
0: Yes, that's it.
3: Yeah, and it gives them, like, uh, a score out of 10, and it's usually an 11 or 12, because (laughs) dogs are amazing, and we don't even deserve them.
0: And uh, Facebook, people... People seem to like, I mean, if you like it out there or you're, you like a Kara, okay, that's fine. But people seem to love Humans of New York. Every time I read one, I just like roll my eyes and do like the, the jerk off motion. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, I think social media does need palette cleansing, especially, uh, especially now. So is there something so like, if you could describe like a is it really just it's just a flower, like a picture of a flower, and just like some beauty in the world kind of.
3: Yeah. Or um, so I, this has actually gotten me way more into photography than I've ever been before ah. so um, you know I was definitely t- sharing pictures of um, I like to go on nature walks you know so mm. the foliage like I said other flora and then also when I got a chance to visit the Smithsonian American Art Museum I took a lot of pictures of flowers and various pieces of artwork and shared those for that week's flower report uh, so it's just its it's amazing because it gets you paying so much closer attention to the flowers that surround you, you know, they're everywhere. And they're, it's so easy to like not notice them, but once you start to notice them, it becomes really quite delightful and like an opportunity to like, stop what you're doing, take a picture and like save it for later.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And we will definitely throw that Twitter into the show notes. That sounds like another I feel like I've added so many Twitters over the last six months or so that just like purposely added them, but they just make me angry as I read them now. And I feel like this is more of this is is good. Um, What else? What else was there in 2016 that wasn't trash?
3: I love The Nib, which is a relatively new website for uh, political satire, journalism and nonfiction comics. They're great because it's I. I'm somebody who really needs to like laugh about how th- how terrible things are, or like put them in the context of art because I think that art is a really important form of resistance. So the nib has been really a great uh, respite, I guess, for when things are especially bananas um, to be able yeah. to go somewhere and look at some really really great comic art um they have stuff by Gemma corell i mean i don't know if people don't really follow um cartoons and comic art these are not names that you would uh recognize but uh Gemma Carell, joey allison sayers and mm-hmm. matt lubchansky those are my favorites that they just do really hilarious and absurd uh Comics that are extraordinarily appropriate for the hilarious and terrifying and absurd world that we currently live in.
0: Yeah, more satire is always, for me at least, always good. I feel like there isn't a ton of source for it, um, oddly enough, in this, like you said, this stupid world. You got, like, you know, the onion and, and all of their kind of stems that they've they've pulled off of that, uh, like click mm-hmm. hole. Um, and then, but then everything else is, like, really, like fart sniffy, like (laughs) McSweeney's or Borowitz report. So, right. Yeah, right.
3: And especially since uh, newspapers, uh, they still exist, but they might as well not, uh, which has historically been the place where political comics, uh, comics in general, like not necessarily comic books, but um, comic strips and and stuff like that, uh, where those have historically resided is great that they now have a home on the Internet
0: cool awesome then again all of those will be up in the uh, in the show notes um carrot do you want to talk a little bit about your podcast uh while you're here where people can find it uh what it is i feel like it's um it's going to be a more important podcast uh than you know some idiots talking about uh pop music over the next couple of months
3: maybe but i'm glad that there are idiots talking about <laughs> things other than all of this stuff um so, yeah, uh, it's called In Sickness and in Health. You can find it uh, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us at home on the World Wide Web at insicknesspod.com and on social media at insicknesspod. I talk to people about their relationships with their bodies, and we discuss issues at the intersections of chronic illness, disability, health care, and mortality, all of which are uh, kind of especially... Uh, prescient at the moment uh, because we have a, an incoming government that is highly interested in um, repealing the Affordable Care Act, which many people might know as Obamacare, uh, and that has really, really huge implications for uh, anybody that lives with a quote-unquote pre-existing condition, um, which can be anything from, like, asthma Allergies mm-hmm. all the way up to and including having survived cancer or living with rheumatoid arthritis or any of the bizarre illnesses that I have, I would say that there's a storm brewing, but the storm is already here <laughs> so yeah. um, in the the first year of the podcast, I was mostly talking to people about their kind of their diagnosis stories and the experiences that they've had in the healthcare system going forward, I think. It's going to be a pretty different show because of what is going on politically. And I'm not exactly sure what that means yet. I'm kind of experimenting with the format and experimenting, not necessarily experimenting with just, I just need to talk about this stuff because I feel like I'm going insane. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what the show is. Uh, it's a, it's been quite an adventure to do. So I'm, I'm as terrified as I am uh, for what is coming, I am also looking forward to using this platform that I've built to talk about these issues that affect so many Americans and people all around the world.
0: Awesome. And yeah, I imagine there's a lot of people who uh, are looking for someone to take this terrible uh, ride with as well and maybe make it a little bit more reasonable. I don't know if that's even possible <laughs> anymore.
3: I don't know either. Uh, to be to be perfectly honest, I'm not the most optimistic person in the world. So if you need somebody to like make you feel better about what's going on, that is not what my no, that's, show is that's about. That's the
0: flowers Twitter. That's <laughs> right. Called. That's yeah. the
3: flower report. The, so you know, I like to to keep try and strike a balance. Oh, also. Another great thing. Just if I can plug one mm-hmm. last thing, uh, if you have Vice Land on your cable package, which not everyone does, not everyone has cable anymore, but Vice now has its own TV channel, and they have a show called Bong Appetit, which is about experimenting with edibles and like w- stretching the possibilities for what cannabis edibles can do. So they're doing like these really elaborate dinner parties um and like using all different types of uh cannabis extracts and stuff to complement the food and the drinks that they're having it, it's amazing and really wonderful escapism and um that might not be around for much longer either <laughs> given the <sighs> incoming regime but in the meantime bong appetit is a delight and i spent the like entire episode just like screaming internally uh, for like what is possible
0: (laughs) awesome Kara thank you so much Uh, check out the podcast check out the Twitter uh, where else can people find you on the internet
3: yeah so uh, like I said you can find the podcast um, online at insicknesspod.com on social media at insicknesspod the best place to find me personally is probably through my own Twitter at bimps which is b-i-m-p-s-e
0: uh, thank you so much for stopping by and we'll try to have an okay
3: twenty seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all trying.
2: I
0: a voice that should be familiar to all of you, Nico. Hey, Nico J., how are you? Hey, I'm doing good. How's everybody doing? Uh, Let's pretend like we haven't just been recording for five hours.
2: What a good idea.
0: Hi. Uh, So great to talk to you again. Uh, What did you love in this horrible year of 2016?
2: Well, I actually kind of think what's really funny is what I love the most about 2016 um, is uh, how little 2016 had to offer that was new that really had value to me personally. Mm. Um, What's really interesting is my two favorite things from 2016 are both reissues or re-releases that go pretty hand in hand, for me at least. Everything old is new again. Everything old is new again. Uh, So I've mentioned more than once on here that I am in love with a lady by the name of Tori Amos. and In 2016, Tori Amos, well, for the last couple of years, she's been re-releasing her albums but with two discs and completely remastered and they have been Incredible! They've included all the covers from all the singles inside. They've been a really nice packaging done really, really well. And they're not just giving you some stuff. They're, like, really giving you, like, 19, 20 bonus tracks on the second disc. Uh, it's been really cool because uh, one of the things about Tori Amos is you're not just a fan. You're a super fan. It's, it's just kind of how it goes. Um, so her fan, in 1996, she had more fan sites on the Internet than anybody else in the world, than any other single musician. Uh, <clears throat> the first ever digital first release was from this album. Uh, it was a song called, uh, Caudillite Sneeze off of Boys for Pele. And, um, over the years she's given us a whole lot of her music in different ways. She's an artist who loves to re-record old stuff in new ways and they always sound at least a little different. It's really nice because if you're going to take my money for the same thing twice, at least put in some effort. This is also notable because it's the first time the album has been restored to its original track listing. There'd been some weird bad blood between her and the label, and the label replaced a track with a remix of a track... They took another track off entirely in favor of a remix of another song so that one song appeared twice. Uh, and this was the first time we saw the original track listing restored uh, since 1996. Additionally, the bonus disc includes some really phenomenal fan favorites like um, Hey Jupiter. It's probably one of her most famous songs. And there's a version called the Dakota version. That's the version that was the radio version and the single uh, for the video. Um, and it's rather... it's I mean, it's it's a re-record, it's all new instrumentation, all new vocals, it's it's starkly different from the album version. So having it on here was a kind of nice touch.
0: Yeah, you're gaining a minute of music on it, too, from what I'm seeing between the versions, yeah.
2: Oh, 100%. Tori has s- so many songs, like when she uh, released "Boys for Pele, she released roughly, the album is 19 songs, 18 tracks, but 19 separate songs, plus roughly 12 in B-sides, but she'd written 70 something. Wow. So... There's a volume of material unreleased, and she she's open and enjoys talking about it with fans. And we actually find out stuff sometimes comes back. And To the Fair Motor Maids of Japan was one of those songs that everybody talked about for, for 20 years. When are we going to get it? When are we going to get it? When are we going to get it? Well, we finally got it. It turns out it's pretty masturbatory, and it's a good reason <laughs> it wasn't released. But it's nice to have it now. Additionally, if you take a look at the track listing, there's some kind of exciting stuff. Um, the first track on the album is a song called... Beauty Queen slash Horses, and Beauty Queen is a separate song from Horses, but they're combined because Beauty Queen isn't quite its own thing. There is then a different track on the second disc, The Fire Eater's Wife slash Beauty Queen, where we actually get a totally different way that she would have combined that song with another piece of music, telling us that that song was always meant to just be combined with another piece of music. Hmm. It's the kind of thing that super fans really value. This is the third of these. She's done her first two albums, plus this in a row. Now... The company who said that they are... uh, I'm trying to remember who did the re-release. I think it's um, Rhino. Did Rhino do the re-release? I think. I forget. But they initially said that they would not be doing anything after Under the Pink. And we already have Boys for Pele. So that's kind of a nice feeling. That you know they may keep going with it. It's just a really personal record for me. uh, Super in a place I needed it to be at a certain right time. Really confrontational lyrics that have they're still confrontational and they're still stark and they're still not what we hear from women today. Um, In the second track, blood roses, she says, um, I've shaved every place where you've been boy. And um, that, that was such a powerful resonance for me. There was just something. So, you know, the idea of, of, and there's no way you don't think that that's what she's talking about. It follows the lyric. You think I'm a queer. Well, I think you're a queer. And there was just something so, I let someone touch me there. I should probably shave myself now so it's somewhere they've never seen. It's a different place now. And it's that sort of visceral imagery that's really carried her. And what's what's even fascinating uh, to, to go to a less extreme place for fans that really, really know the material, a song called Winter on her first album, she says, all the white horses have gone up ahead. Those are the same horses that are in, win- uh, in horses on the first track of Boys for Pele. So there's actually thematic elements that that run through her music that tell a story to itself Mm -hmm. and every time we get another track like this it's it's uh you know like fair motor maids of japan it plays into something bigger on her last full label release uh unrepentant geraldine's she'd had a song called the maids of elfin mare and it made a lot of fans wonder if the maids of elfin mare was some usage of to the fair motor maids of japan well she gave us our answer by giving us both this was a really cool thing for fans, because when so much of an album is redone and not just one or two tracks, you know you start to be like, "Ah, oh, but if I could just get those one or two um and and really, this was just such a great thing uh super cool
0: yeah uh the 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 thing about the songs kind of continuing itself made me just imagine a a Tori Amos connected universe, and like Nick Fury coming at the end of one of the songs to recruit her into well, the Avengers.
2: Well, what's really fascinating is, you know how um, Nicki Minaj
0: has the barbs? No, but I believe you.
2: Uh, Nicki Minaj, like Roman, is one Barbie. Nicki is another Barbie. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Four years before Nicki Minaj came out, Tori Amos had The Dolls, and it was exactly that. Mm. And each of her songs was performed by a different doll, and one of the dolls' names was Barbie.
0: Was this... uh, Was Boys for Pele the tori album that got you into tori amos or was there stuff before that that you were aware of
2: um i'd always been nebulously aware of her just i knew she existed uh my mom knew one or two things but for me um it was the album after this that really got me hooked that i went out to the local music store coconuts with my coconuts gift coin <laughs> and um wow
0: that brought back some memories
2: on the little black card yeah yeah and um, purchased uh, from the Choir Girl Hotel. That's which the one is...
0: I always remembered the most, and I think that is because of you.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an electro-rock album from 1998 about a woman having a miscarriage. It just didn't exist back then. You know, this album is about a lot of things she was very uncomfortable with. Father Lucifer is truly about meeting Satan on an acid trip. Professional Widow. There's a lot of rumors that the song Professional Widow is about Courtney Love.
0: Yeah, I've heard that.
2: Especially with the... Apt title and the end lyrics being Mother Mary, China, white, brown, maybe sweeter, she will provide, give me peace, love and a hard cock. I, uh, I think it's a pretty damning allegation against Courtney Love. And it's just, it's just a really cool record, and it's uh, really personal to to her fans. Uh, you know, Tori's always had fans that worship her. Uh, we, we've never just liked her. It's because she offers so much of herself so brazenly and so bared, and that is really what this is. This is uh, a soul-bared, true experience in being Tori Amos, and it's it's unflinching, and it's uncompromising, and it's unforgiving.
0: Well, thank you so much for talking up this release i mean it seems to be full of like lives and and demos and edits and um i know like you said toriamos has such a huge like eclectic following that like maybe maybe some people don't know that this is out there maybe some people just know uh boys for pele and uh are not familiar with this kind of new spin on it um so thank you for bringing that uh to the show
2: And if I can, just throw in one more thing, but you can't get it, so that's why this one has to be a tiny little footnote. Mm -hmm. A guy, a brilliant artist by the name of Bill Sienkiewicz did a short run on The New Mutants in the 1980s with Chris Claremont. The New Mutants being an X-Men spinoff about younger kids. And these kids actually had, like, kind of real problems. Like, there's issues where people get called, like, hate slurs and not just for being mutants. And, like... It's intense. Uh, Bill Sienkiewicz, visionary guy, did an unforgettable run, invented the character Warlock with Chris Claremont, did something called the Demon Bear Saga. Really big, really famous work that really resonated. And they uh, never collected every issue he ever did with uh, Claremont for the New Mutants ever before this. And they finally did. It sold out in minutes. And I happened happened to get one. And then I met Mr. Sienkiewicz and asked him to sign it. And he spelt my name wrong.
0: He signed it to Miko. (laughs) Uh, Happy 2016. Uh, Nico, where can people find you online? Speaking of comic books
2: you can check me out uh, if you want to check out my uh, super hyper awesome inclusive uh, comic book Kid Riot you can check it out at KidRiotComics.com or just search Comixology our first trade is available 180 pages for 10 bucks can't beat that Uh, if you want to check out uh, my music check it out at Facebook.com slash Action Duo and if you want to see me shirtless just check out my Instagram at (laughs) NigoVasilo N-I-C-O-V-A-S-I-L-O I -I I am not kidding I'm always shirtless
0: (laughs) Thank you uh, so much for stopping by and have uh, an awesome and continually shirtless 2017. Oh, let's hope. with us now for this segment are the real basement dwellers, Carl and Chris. Uh guys, thanks for coming on and uh how are you?
4: Hey, thanks for bringing us on. Uh this is Carl speaking. And this is Chris, but also known as Draconis for all of those
5: real basement dwellers fans.
0: Tell the uh tell the now and again audience a little bit about your podcast. It focuses mostly on gaming of all varieties.
4: Exactly, you got it right there. And then uh it- it's a game for it's a show in which we play games for social people that are looking for a social game. Uh, we try to cover across all the board from board games, uh, video games, card games, drinking games, what have you. We, we do the whole we try to at least do all the, all the all of that to cover. We try to keep it fun.
0: All things I definitely dabble in here and there, but certainly don't have as broad of uh, an expertise as you all do. What is it that you loved in the terrible year of 2016? Oof,
4: that was that's a that's a rough question to ask for a rough year. But uh, I think we got one that matches the year pretty well. Uh, wouldn't you agree, there, Chris? Most definitely. Uh, yeah, we we had uh, we actually found out about this one. At least I heard about this one for a while beforehand. Um, it's called Pandemic Legacy. It's part of that series of legacy games that came out over the end of 2015 with risk legacy. Mm-hmm. And then it continued on into with pandemic legacy, uh, pretty much a legacy series as of right now has been mainly based around changed versions of board games that people really, really like uh, risk was one of them late uh, pandemic is another, everyone knows risk. I would like to believe uh, pandemic legacy is kind of the opposite. You're trying to have save the world from being condemned to catastrophe from four different viruses. Uh so basically they what they did on this one is that they kind of built up from there on that instead of the regular pandemic game where it's just a single game confined to that they spread it across 12 different game sessions. And uh what how far did we get in, so far with the series? Uh this we one? we
5: got the first um the first couple months we played two sessions in the first month because we failed the first one. Uh and then in the second month we played Another one. Um, so with three games total, but only two months of the actual gameplay.
0: From from my understanding or from my memory, I think I played Pandemic once or twice. It's a it's a cooperative game, right? Uh, everyone's playing together and trying to kind of uh race the clock.
5: Yeah, that's correct. Uh it's one of, it's one of the few games where you actually get to play with your friends in a cooperative measure, which is fun in and of itself. I mean, we all love the competitive nature of games, but for the most part, the majority of games are that way. So it's nice to have a different sort of game where you're all working together, and you can all feel that panic of trying to rid the world of these diseases.
4: Yeah, and everyone that's playing in the game, uh, basically you take on a specific role. Uh, so there's different... Uh, it's, upward of, it's anywhere between two to four players for the game, and you can kind of swap in and out with the amount of people, although having the most people and having those people play across all these different sessions definitely adds on to that. It doesn't detract if you have lesser people or you change out people. You go to different cities on the board, and you have to remove basically a bunch of little plague cubes. uh, And the lesser amount that there is, uh, the less chance that an outbreak will occur and the city will have a negative impact from it. There's a couple other rules that go along with the game and more that gets revealed over the course of it. uh, But it would take a little bit of time to get that.
0: Yeah, very much in that kind of co-op Arkham horror mold where everyone's got a role and you're trying to kind of work together to manage a situation that is steadily falling out of your control. Um, how how do you find the legacy aspect um, adds to a game like that? Because I remember the Risk one. Um, I didn't play it myself. I know a friend who had it. And like at the end of their first game, like Australia got nuked or something and it was just like a wasteland. And that had implications on the next game. Like next game, you had negatives if you were in Australia. How does that carry over um, to Pandemic, and do you think that it extends the life of the game, or it like by nature shortens it, because at the end of this module, it's just like, I mean, is there a way to do anything at the end? I, that's something the Legacy series always kind of confused me on. Do you just throw it out at the end? Or? Yeah,
5: essentially, the way the Legacy is built is you really are supposed to just play through, and as the game goes along, different rules crop up, and different circumstances crop up, and So you have to deal with those new rules and new circumstances that weren't in the previous game. So it adds to like this replay, you know, as you keep going, it's like it's not the same game over and over again. So it's like the game is continuing. Think of it as like a merger of a board game and like a role playing game. Um, So essentially there's even stuff like in the specific cards in the the game that you pull a draw this card. When this happens, destroy this card. Like literally you're supposed to set it on fire.
0: Right, and uh, I know risk. You, you there was ways like to just draw on the board or like or or like sticker over it when terrible things happened. Yeah. So does that? Are you meant to be left with like a new world at the end of all the modules and just play on that, or is it just like time to get a new legacy game? Everyone throw in a couple bucks, Let's uh, do this all again.
5: Essentially, yeah. If you want to do it again, you would buy a new version of the game and start from scratch. But this particular one, it looks like it has multiple decks and things to go through so there might be changes in overarching evolution as it goes along i'm not Mm. sure we've only played the first few sessions so we don't know how far it's going to go
4: along the line of what you were saying before there uh with the uh board game changed up where like in risk legacy australia gets nuked which by the way is kind of awesome uh, so, <laughs> not, not no offense to your Aussie fans out there, but it, there's things that happen, like I was saying before, each city can be able to, uh, there could be an outbreak that happens in each city, and it's almost an inevitability that'll happen, and over the course of the game sessions you actually use stickers to be able to track how many times an outbreak happened in that city so you could be in Tokyo and there could be several outbreaks that happen and if it if i remember correctly if it exceeds 6 or more outbreaks that city is completely gone to hell in a handbasket that city is not usable anymore um, it's pretty much a, it's more of a hazard to have to travel through that city or to that city than it is to actually save that city at that point. Yeah, essentially it's it so, just destroyed. So you could have over the course, by the end of the session, you could have like uh, Alana winds up falling to whatever plague, like the Blue Plague, which, uh, uh, what do we call it? We call that Trumpism in ours. Mm-hmm. Over in Tokyo, there could be an issue with um, Red 5 disease so it's just it's just how in the game with how it is with the decks depending on the luck you could lose a couple of sessions right off the bat and if you lose those sessions you are supposed to replay it if you don't beat that particular scenario in that month so let's say it's february you played it twice you failed twice you move on from the game but you keep the repercussions of what happened right so that could potentially make the world even a worse place depending on how well you do or how how well the deck treats you but, uh,
0: a game where you're trying to keep the world uh from slowly crumbling and falling apart does sound like the most 2016 game you could have possibly brought in
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, we'll see how it continues on into 2017 right now we're going to be moving on the march in our next session so we'll see how that goes for us for the price of the game you get four people together right now it's running on amazon uh as of this recording for about 47 dollars you split that four ways it's about what 10 15 a person if you include shipping in on that i think you could spend worse money on uh, a game that you play 12 times and then you have a really good story that you basically get to keep and you get to see evolve and you can talk to people about and see how they did when they played the game right now there's what they call season one there isn't a at least there's no concrete plans at least from what i've seen of there being a season two I would find it very unlikely that they didn't have a season two be an expansion. Uh, So maybe there'll be a board that will either build off of what you did before or what will expand upon what what there is. But I mean, it's the world. So it's it's the entire uh, (laughs) the entire world with all the continents. There's no way that they can really build off of that. So we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. You can
0: take the virus to Mars. Have a space space pandemic.
4: Exactly. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh,
5: another fun uh, fun aspect that we mentioned also, you know, how we had the different character roles, um, you know, your medic and your dispatcher and your researcher—they're all very important. They have very important functions. But in the legacy version, they could potentially die.
0: Okay, so you just can't play them anymore, and yeah, you would have to. That play a obviously character. makes the game harder for everyone. Then,
5: yeah, because if you lose the medic, who's really good at like controlling disease spread, then you're kind of like you have to deal with it at a much slower pace.
4: Things. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting aspect that they throw in there just because in the base game, they don't have that. And the fact that there is like this game actually creates if you're looking for a board game that actually has legitimate uh, consequences to how well you do or how much you get screwed over. This is definitely a game for you. It's also very nerve wracking. So I'll give that as a warning to everyone out there. Uh-huh. Uh, needless to say, we didn't start drinking at the beginning of the the game mm-hmm. session. Several of the players wound up, including myself, wound up deciding that we needed a couple drinks in order to be able to deal with the stress of the situation. Mm -hmm. So if you're very anxious, I wouldn't recommend this to you. If you're looking for a really high stakes sort of game that everyone can kind of get into once you get to handle the rules and understand the scope of what this game can actually bring to your gaming group, it's it's fun, at least to me. I'm a bit of a masochist, though.
0: (laughs) The only game I've ever played that had consequences at the end of it uh, was Diplomacy, where that just ended with us all hating each other for a couple of days. Um, So this sounds (laughs) like a a much more reasonable way to do that. Real Basement Dwellers. Carl, Chris, thank you so much for stopping by. Where can people find you on the internet?
5: You can find us on our website at therealbasementdwellers.com. We also have various other platforms. You can follow us on uh, Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash therealbasementdwellers. We also do streaming on occasion, so you can follow us on our Twitch channel, The Real Basement Dwellers. Yeah, that pretty much covers it, unless I'm missing something.
4: Uh, we do have an email. Uh, in case you're, you want to know more about Pandemic, feel free to shoot us an email. You can shoot us off at the, uh, Real Basement Dwellers at gmail.com. We're always looking for the emails coming through, and we're always willing to strike up a conversation with uh, interested parties. Indeed. Awesome.
0: Thank you guys so much. Uh, have a, a great and virus-free
4: 2017.
6: Hopefully thanks so. Same to
0: you. And with us now are the co-hosts of Zach Attack, Joe and Joe.
6: Hi. Hey, what's up, man?
0: So as we all know, 2016 sucked.
6: Mm-hmm. was a shitty year.
0: Yeah. Uh, but you guys wanted to come on and talk about something that I think, uh, most certainly, you are not alone in loving.
7: We want to talk about Stranger Things. Like, I was going to talk about... What was I going to talk about? I was going to talk about American Honey, and then Joe, too, messaged me on Facebook and was just like, let's go on together and talk about Stranger Things. I was like, all right, that's cool, especially yeah. considering Chris's... Halloween party was Stranger stranger Things themed I did not know about. I showed up as, I don't even remember the kid's name.
0: Dustin, right? Dustin. Dustin, Dustin, yes.
7: I showed up as Dustin, and there was just, like, four of the people. There was a Demi Gorgon there. I mean, Chris that's was awesome. 11. It was it was awesome. It was, And the actual house was decorated. Like, I don't know. I don't think <laughs> we actually put anything on the Facebook page, but you went all out. And I was just like, I can't believe that, like, I lucked into, I backed into the perfect party for my costume. It was great. Yeah, while well, you
0: were getting ready, you sent me, like, a, a link to a picture of you all dressed up with the wig and the hat and stuff. And I showed my girlfriend. I was like, do, do we tell him? And she's like, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Like, that's going to be such a fun little surprise when he walked into this party full of people that he doesn't know at all and we had like the messed up landline phone we had the wall with the lights Yeah,
7: it was great oh man and i felt so bad because i didn't know anybody there except for you and i walked by all these people not hundred (laughs) percent sure it was the house and there's people like dressed in stranger things things, i'm not even i'm not even looking at these people like looking at their costumes i was just like don't know you don't know you is chris around (laughs) and then I, i then when you were had your ego box, I was like, this is amazing. This is all, this is all, I don't know, harmonious, synchronous, whatever. Perfect.
0: Yeah, and my girlfriend definitely didn't even realize that you, uh, that 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 wasn't your hair, that that was a wig. Like, Lady, (laughs) how, laugh punch. Um, So yeah, let's talk about Stranger Things. And I want to ask you both the same question is, how did you watch the show? Because for us... Um, my girlfriend's roommate was like, hey, you want to watch this show? This I, I hadn't heard of it, The Stranger Things. We were like, oh, I don't know. Do we really want to start a show? We've started so many shows, I'm been disappointed. We really yeah. w- want to get into another one. And then we started it, and I think we did five episodes in the first night and then finished it up the next day. <laughs> I feel like that was a lot of people's Stories, kind of.
6: That's what I was talking to Joey about. I I don't remember how long it took, and I really felt like I was watching one a week. I know I wasn't. I know I was watch- like binge watching them. Maybe it took me two or three days, but it felt like they were releasing one a week in my head for
7: some reason. I did it over two days, and the only reason I didn't do it in one fell swoop was because I started at like eight o'clock one night. Same. Yes, and I exactly would have done same. it all eat in I don't really like binge watching, but this was. I don't think it's my... I don't think it's the best show that I saw all year. No. But it is maybe... I saw... I'm still putting together my, you know, OCD favorite TV shows of the year list. It's very high up there if it's not number one. But it's, like, it's everything that I've ever wanted in a TV show altogether. Like, it's... I, like, I know that it's not the best show, but it's... I can't ask for, like, a show more perfectly written for my sensibilities. Yep. Agreed.
0: I checked and AV Club had it at, like, 25, 26... And at first I'm thinking, like, that's bullshit. Nobody still knows that Jane the Virgin is airing. <laughs> but as I got into, like, the top ten, I was like, okay, yeah, I guess that is better. Even still, Stranger Things just resonated with me more. I think it's because, like, maybe this is uh, only 80s, early 90s kids will get this, but we saw a little bit of ourselves in these characters.
6: Yeah, dude, it was it was a nostalgia show, which, you know, we're, like, the suckers for nostalgia, like, our generation. It was like you had one of everything. Like, you could either relate to, like, Nancy or Barb or any of the kids. So, like, yeah, there, there was a perfect character for you in there somewhere.
0: Yeah, the whole fucking internet can relate to Barb or whatever.
6: <laughs> I have no fucking
7: idea why. That was one thing I didn't get about this show. So I've seen, I just went through the AV Club list. That's something that I wanted to read but I hadn't gotten to yet. I've seen 24... Like, I looked at the top 15 and, like, yeah, they're all kind of better than Stranger Things, but in terms of what I enjoyed the most and what I just, you know, enjoyed, like, I just had a smile on my face from start to finish, it was Stranger Things. And I don't want to put unnecessary pressure on this new show, but as we're recording this two days from now, The OA comes out, which is another sci-fi show on Netflix that's going to all dump at once. Oh, cool. And I'm super, super excited for it because... It stars Britt Marling and it's directed by Zal Batmanly, however you pronounce his last name. And he directed her in Sound of My Voice and in one other movie. And they just do really interesting, cool things. This is a show that they really announced, I think, on Monday. And they're like, hey, it's all coming out on Friday. And I'm super excited for it. Nice. I don't know that it's going to be as big as Stranger Things because, you know, if I didn't love Stranger Things, I think I would be bothered by how popular it is. But because I love it, I'm just like, yeah, everybody. Yeah. Loves it. Like, everybody should love it because it's great. Yeah,
6: I, I'm really confused that like there's a whole bunch of girls that are RH that are like talking about how much they love it and are like, and this is this is at the core a sci-fi show, you know? Like there's like a lot of chicks that I know that like never would have watched sci-fi. that are like, Stranger Things was great, and I'm like, where the fuck were you guys when I was 15? <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's yeah.
0: And I was absolutely that kid at that age in the basement playing Dungeons & Dragons with my friends and talking about horror movies.
6: Oh, for sure, yeah. And
0: I loved that that is the first thing that you see. And the writing is so good. You're going to know everything about these characters just from what you see them doing with their D&D characters. And that opening scene is going to kind of unravel throughout the entire run of the show, yep. and I just loved that.
6: Yeah.
7: Um, who's who's your favorite character on Stranger Things? I mean, Dustin. And that's why I was him. Oh, Aside sorry. from the fact that like, I couldn't really pull off a couple of the other kids, like Dustin's <laughs> just like, you know, he's the awkward, shy one, but like he's the one with like the, the purest heart, maybe? And he's kind of the hero? I mean, they're all heroes. Yeah. I like him. I like Dustin. What were you, Chris?
0: So something the show does really well, like the whole run is get you to go back and forth between whether Steve is, like, not a cliché, or if he is a cliché 80s villain. Yeah. And you keep going back and forth on, like, okay, Steve's okay, fuck Steve. Especially because I I really like the character of Nancy, too. So I felt kind of uh, invested there. And then you, you get to the part where he comes to the house at the end and you're like oh man they're gonna kill off steve like right in one of the last episodes and then he twirls the baseball bat and like we both popped and uh, it was so good uh we ended up loving steve so much and i'm glad I, again because i think i liked nancy so much i'm glad that they went with her ending up with steve especially because the other character the brother was probably my least favorite character on the whole show and i just i know that they're gonna do a love triangle thing in season two and that sucks yeah, yeah.
7: And I also like. I also like how Steve is. The internet has decided that Steve is John Ralphio's dad from. Parks oh yeah, I do
0: like yep, that too. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Wait, Joe, who's yours?
6: For me, the kids. I like Mike the best, right? Mike is the main one, right? Is that his name? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, for the kids, I like Mike the best, but like character-wise, a Ryder just killed this show, man.
0: I don't. He was really good.
6: Like, I don't think that it could have been as. I I don't know who they could have replaced her with. So I think she's kind of like the cornerstone to this show. Like, I wasn't expecting anything from her. I was like, oh, old, washed up Winota Rider, great. And then, like, she just slayed it. So I was really excited about her.
0: Another thing that I loved that the show did was how it kind of told these three different stories depending on the character's perspective. And all of them were these kind of cover song versions of famous 80s movies and like yep. that combination made this whole new unique thing like the kids had their ET Goonies moments yep and with um with Steve and the brother and i mean this is obvious cuz the name Nancy like yep. totally drives you straight to Nightmare on Elm Street and it is that and then the parents are kind of doing this poltergeist thing
6: like a mystery you had like a murder mystery like a spooky murder mystery, it was awesome, and like an ex- and like an exploration of like grief
7: and loss, right? Yeah, like a...
0: and I love how it all comes together to make this unique thing. Even though in yep. its disparate parts, it's kind of like that super eight problem where you're like, I have seen this before.
6: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was it was just like a well planned out show. I liked all the writing of it. I this was a highlight for me for 2016, as much
7: as everything else sucked dick. And what I what I liked about it is that it, it I feel like Netflix is kind of in a lot of I mean Netflix is breaking TV in a lot of ways, yes. but I feel like Netflix is really breaking it in terms of hey tell your story and however long it needs to be is like what it's going to be like. Yes, I like that a lot. You're like right. a lot of TV shows, I mean network shows. They're basically, you know, 22, 24 episodes. Box into a number of episodes. It's way too many. I mean, even like shows that I love, it's just like, all right, like I sort of wish that there was, because you you read like interviews with people at the end of doing those. Like you read, I've read interviews with uh, Liz Merriweather, I think. Who who create a new girl and they're like like we just like ran out of ideas like we run out of money they run out of ideas and they're just trying to like create a show that like they can just shoot in the loft or whatever because there's so much that they have to do because you're you're creating so much TV it's lame and then you have on like cable like thirteen is kind of the sweet spot it seems like but now with Netflix doing like six or eight or ten or whatever I like this trend of whatever the story needs to be. It can be, and it's the same thing. Something else entirely from this year. Yeah. Uh, that OJ made in America doc. Did you did you talk about that with anybody, Chris, or no?
0: No, you know I haven't, but I I loved it. Uh, I actually liked it more than yeah. I think uh, the People versus OJ, even though I think they make like a good, really long double feature slash companion. They kind of work thing. well
7: really really well together. But I heard an interview. I think the guy who made that was on. WTF with Mark Marin not like not a full interview i think he was at the beginning interview and originally espn wanted him to do like a either like a 1 hour or a 2 hour thing and he came back with like a 4 hour cut and they were like oh like this is good he's like well if you like this like i got like 10 hours of stuff <laughs> and so they're like all right like let's cut it down a little bit like they said you know basically tell the story you need to tell and that's how it became seven and a half hours that was broadcast over 10 hours on tv yeah that's awesome they just let him go with it because there's a story to be told there and i like that like right fitting that stranger things like there's not really wasted time no like if you wanted to do another two episodes like yeah there probably would have been cool stuff in there but this is the length it needs to be and it's great because of it You need to respect
6: the artist, yeah, like, you need to respect what they're, like, what they want to convey, like, this is such bullshit that we tie, like, tie them into a number of episodes or something, like, yeah, it feels more concise this way, so I would rather have it, just let it be whatever the fuck it needs to be.
0: Yeah, and I think in the past, and, like, look, I get how advertising money works, but those 23 episode orders for a full season in the past killed shows like Twin Peaks and really hurt shows like Lost before they negotiated to be shorter seasons. And I think even 13, it depends on the show, but I think 13 really hurts the Marvel shows that are on Netflix. I think those everyone i've watched i'm like man this could have just been 10 episodes and had a lot less filler
7: well we were just talking before you came on i just finished the new horror story Roanoke and that was 10 as opposed to 12 or 13 for every other season yep and this is different cuz it's really like it's kind of like five different ideas almost in one season but it just feels right like the 10 is like the right number there so like, yeah i know that they want to have more content and make more ad money but like tell the story
6: Like, don't bastardize the show for the sake of you making ad money, because people are going to get pissed about it, especially now that Netflix doesn't need to
7: do that. Yeah, especially, like, what you're saying, like, Chris, like, with Netflix, like, and the same thing with HBO, you know, don't add extra episodes just because, like, Game of Thrones is going to get them subscribers, so they want to milk Game of Thrones for all it's worth, and as sad as I am to see that going off the air, I'm kind of happy that there's, like, okay, there's 13 episodes left, or whatever it's going to be, seven this year, six next year, and that's it. I like that there's, like, an end point that they have a story to tell and that's going to be like they're not going to be like oh we're in Game of Thrones season 32 just because we can make lots of money
0: (laughs) I mean just look at a show like and this is going to be the um, the second time I think in this 2016 thing where we disparage the walking dead but (laughs) just look at that fucking show how it has no course and it feels like a chore yeah
7: yeah I've been ranting about The Walking Dead on podcasts for three or four years now. I mean, back when John Brooks and I were doing Sports for Starters, we had we talked about that show all the time because, like, we would go on a week by week basis, and some weeks it was great, and some weeks it was just terrible. And <laughs> now it's it's more bad than good, but there's no end in sight, and there's no end to the comics in sight either. And God no. Almighty,
0: um, what do you want out of season two of Stranger Things? Sub-question, parentheses, do you want a Season 2 of Stranger Things?
6: No, I don't. I love it, and I think the kids were awesome. I, I really, really am hoping that Season 2 is good, and I really don't think that it can hold a candle to this. And if if it does, I will bite, like, I will eat my words, and I will be all for it, but I'm just really scared.
7: Yeah, I mean, I think we all want it to be great. I didn't want there to be a Season 2... And if there had to be a season two, obviously this was going to be like, it was such a hit that there was, it was almost, you know, if the creators, if the Duffer brothers wanted to do a second season, they were always going to do it. I sort of wish it was more like Horror Story or something where it was anthology. Yes. Where it's not the same kids. Like, I feel like this story has been told.
6: Agreed. No, I want the same kids, but let's do a completely different story. Is that what they're going to do? Well, you want the same actors, but not the same characters. Yes. That's what I want. Okay.
0: Yes. And you can like even keep the 80s aesthetic... And tell a completely different yeah. story. Think of all of the genres that were kind of being created in, in yep. the 80s and stuff like that. You can do like a horror slasher thing where totally. like kids at an arcade and something's weird. Or like strange goings on at a mall and bam, you've got the 80s again.
6: Exactly. That's, what I, that's, that's my greatest wish of what, what could happen with this.
0: I'm nervous, but like, I do like the few little casting things that have come out so far.
6: I didn't see it. Who is it? it does it anybody I know? You have to tell me their movie names like Joey does. Otherwise, I won't know who they are.
0: Uh, like, uh, Sean Astin, because, hey, remember the Goonies. Okay. And, um, oh, uh, he was a bad guy in, in Aliens, because, because Aliens, um, mad oh, okay. about you, Paul Reiser.
6: That makes sense. Nod to the old sci-fi.
0: Uh, that works for me. It's, it's like, it's kind of subtle. It's not like, um, Sigourney Weaver showing up at the end of Cabin in the woods and just completely pulling you out of the movie.
7: Yeah. I feel like she does that a lot and stuff, doesn't she? Like, she just, she seems to drop in the end of things and be like, hey, here's a lot of, here's like a big twist that you didn't see coming.
0: So, thank you for stopping by. Uh, what can we expect from Zack Attack in 2017?
7: The big thing for Zack Attack is April is going to be High School Musical Month.
0: Yes. Ooh.
6: Yes. And we're going to we're gonna flip them and watch them the correct way, because we normally do Zack Attack backwards, like chronologically in reverse, but we're going to flip these three,
7: do them the right way. Because neither of us have seen any of them, so we're going to, on the, so I think we're doing like April 1st, 11th, 21st or something, it's going to be High School Musical 1, 2, 3... I think I'm going to go visit Joe too. Triple feature. We're going to get real drunk, and then yeah. he, me and him and Rachel are going to watch all three and then just try to make sense of them or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she's, like, a huge fan of them, too, so this is going to be really interesting. She, like, knows all the backstories
6: and stuff, so... Oh, God. Yeah, it's going to be really I did not weird. know that. Yeah, she loves it.
7: What's nice is that uh, Zack Attack ends... The last episode we're releasing is in December of next year, so starting January 2018... Joe and I are gonna have a new podcast that we're not going to, we're not we have not announced yet. We're not announcing it yet. We're not announcing it, we're not announcing it. So Zack Attack is gonna conclude its initial run next year, so stay tuned for that.
0: Looking forward to big things from Cage Club and Zack Attack in twenty seventeen. Joe, Joe, where can people find you?
7: I'm everywhere at Soulpopped but just go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub
0: well thank you guys so much for helping me wrap up this experiment and put 2016 in the body bag where it belongs you too brother thanks bye happy new year